You can only watch so much of us, so I get it. You gotta, you gotta get somebody else in there. Maybe it's just more Jerome. It's the first time we've had Jerome on, so maybe, maybe it's just they want more the Jerome, Jerome on factor, the podcast. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that is members of the St. Peter's Board of Trustees. I'm David Arroyo, joined, as always, my pal Tom Shively. Tom, for those watching on YouTube, both you and I with different setups today, me, temporary, you a little more permanent with your new move. But before we get into any of the sports talk, Tom, I got to know, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. Yeah, first week in the new, uh, first week in the new Baltimore place. It's going well. A little bit of a panic last week. There were a lot of renovations that weren't done yet when we got here. Like they were supposed to replace the bathroom floor on the second floor, and it just was down to the bare bones still when we got here. So, a little overwhelming to see not all of the work done, but we're slowly getting there. So we're slowly getting back to uh, where we need to be. I you handled that when I talked to you last week I think a little bit better than I would have right because if I would have seen that I would have been in like a panic of like this is terrible this is an awful way to start this they're gonna rush this oh, I think now. I was I, I think been... I, I think I'm underselling it right now I was definitely panicking oh you you held it together even last week like you didn't really show any signs of someone who was in like a full-scale panic over the state of their brand new apartment See, if it wasn't the first week of March Madness, I think I would have been a lot more mad. But, you know, you just have the the vision of college basketball on the horizon and, and you know it's going to be okay. Well, before we uh, we get too far, I do want to give a special shout out to everybody who listened to the March Madness episode last week. That is our most listened episode since the holiday spectacular. So, I mean, the people just, just love when we bring on guests. So you and I are going to have to talk a little bit more about maybe having some more consistent guests here join the program. It seems like that's that's what the people want and that's what the people are clamoring for. You can only watch so much of us, so I get it. You got to you got to get somebody else in there. <laughs> maybe it's just more Jerome. It's the first time we've had Jerome on, so maybe maybe it's just they want more the Jerome, Jerome on factor, the podcast. Yeah. It's the uh the normalized the 3-day weekend effect. It's true. All right, Tom. Let's just get into it then. There was one big story this week in the NFL, and I said this on Twitter, but it's a story you and I have largely avoided. It's the Deshaun Watson story, and the reason you and I, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but you can obviously jump in after I say this, but the reason I feel like we've avoided this story so much is because of the nature of the story, right? I, I felt like it was disingenuous for us to just talk football X's and O's around Deshaun Watson because of the nature of what he is accused of. And it, it felt like, you know, we didn't have all the information throughout this last year about, you know, the full accusations, whether or not there'd be criminal charges, which we now know there are not. But but before we really break down the Deshaun Watson situation in whole, I'm kind of curious just your your thoughts in terms of you know us kind of avoiding the topic outside of that initial accusation from his 22 accusers. I don't think we had a lot more to say after that because he kind of went into the shadows for a while. Um, you know, we talked about it when it first came out and. I'm a little shocked that the charges got dropped. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm, I guess it's the NFL, so I'm not that shocked, but, you know, to have it come back in the limelight, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but kind of how casually everyone is handling it feels a little strange to me, feels a little, you know, like football is king, everyone knows that, but here we're, we're, we're missing the bigger picture, and it's frustrating that it's another one of those elite talent can kind of mask a lot of things in your personal life. And, and here we are again. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that it, I'm not, this is not an original point. So I do want to give credit. Uh, Bomani Jones, and Dominique Foxworth were talking about this on uh, the right time with Bomani Jones and Bomani far more informed, I would say legally than I am on this topic. And he felt that there would never be criminal charges in this case because the nature of what Watson was accused of was never criminal in nature, which is kind of the first time I've really heard that. I feel like the way we've been talking about this so frequently is that this was a criminal mm. act, but the way that he kind of presented it was 
you know, what he's accused of is is essentially we would look at what Deshaun Watson is accused of in a more favorable light if what he was accused of was he procured sexual favors from 22 sex workers. We would look at this in a completely different situation. But because he is doing this and trying to use his power to essentially pressure these massage therapists into giving him sexual favors because he's Deshaun Watson is where this gets really, really gross and really just, you know, it's... It's where we start to look at it as like, what are you doing, dude? Like, why why do you have this this need to procure these favors from women you don't even know? It's like women he's met on Instagram. And it's just so strange in that way and really gross to talk about. Yeah, I think it's unsettling to see someone use their power like that to to get what they want. And he's certainly not the first one that, that, that's had a story like this, but it feels like, I think it was unsettling for a lot of people because of kind of the narrative around Deshaun Watson before. Like, I think it came as a surprise to a lot of people that, you know, this guy was just kind of doing his own thing in Houston, like putting together a good career. Obviously he had the success at Clemson. Like he was a guy that you could very easily root for. And then just to kind of have this come out was very, I think surprising to a lot of people, um, you know, I, I don't know how long this has been going on, but it, it, it's again, another one of those, you know, using your power for, you know, not so great things. And to, to, again, not to harp on this, but, but to see it kind of dismissed so casually by people, you know, already looking ahead to, you know, what does his signing do for the Cleveland Browns? What is his, you know, what do the Texans do from here? It just feels a little misleading. Well, let's get into all of those details then. So Deshaun Watson was traded to the Cleveland Browns last week, uh, March 18th. I don't know what today's date is, but I believe this trade happened on Friday. Two days ago, yeah. So Deshaun Watson moved from Houston to Cleveland. Uh, He was moved for first-round picks in 2022, 2023, and 24, as well as 2023, a 2023 third-round pick and a 2024 fourth-round pick. There are some other details there, and he immediately signed a five-year, $230 million extension. Uh, I don't know about you, Tom, but I think the other detail about this Deshaun Watson thing I don't like is, yes, he's accused of like a heinous, a potentially heinous act. Like he, he strikes me from the way this described as like a sexual deviant. Like this dude has a problem. And the way we rewarded this problem was allowing him to not only get traded and get like Houston to get a haul for that, which is fine. Like I'm cool with them moving off him and getting whatever they can. Cause they don't want to deal with the situation anymore. But the part that is so gross to me is the way Deshaun Watson was allowed to interview the teams that he was going to go to. Like, he's the one accused of 22 sexual misconduct all the way to sexual assault allegations. Why does he get to interview and choose where he gets to go? And that's where this Winning is so is disgusting. Go ahead. Winning is everything. I mean, it. Uh, you, you really do see how far teams are willing to kind of gray that whole area of morality when when it's, oh, this guy is a top five quarterback in the league, like, you know, hey, we could use Deshaun Watson. Like the Cleveland Browns who, you know, weren't a million years away from from Super Bowl contention with Baker Mayfield, like, I I get why they want him. It's just, uh, not to use unsettling again, but it's very, it just makes you uneasy a little bit that this kind of thing is happening. Like I had a friend, uh, my old roommate is a Cleveland Browns fan, he's from Ohio, and he's just kind of like, it, it just feels sticky. Like, it feels... Uh, it's going to be hard to root for that team. I know, like, Mike Ryan from the Levitard Show is a huge Browns fan, or was, I should say, and it's kind of like, I can't root for this team anymore. And, it, and it's difficult for the fans to to have loved an organization for so long, especially that team. That team that has suffered for so long, has had no success, and in ordinary years would be begging for a guy like Deshaun Watson, of, of his star power, to, to have it be this guy that carry so much baggage with them just feels so browns well and i do feel on some level right for browns fans because one they didn't choose this right they didn't they weren't out there at least i'm sure most of them were not out there parading like man if only we could get deshaun watson we really want i'm sure there are a select few that just don't care they can put aside 
everything he's accused of because it's in the name of winning. It's whatever. But I I, I just think about like Steelers fans, right? It can't ha- it couldn't have been easy for the last however many years, 10 plus years to root for Ben Roethlisberger, knowing what we know about Ben Roethlisberger. Like he was credibly accused of rape. And for the last 10 years, Steelers fans have had to kind of put that aside, ignore it and be like, yeah, but he's our quarterback. He's winning. You know, it is what it is, I guess. But like it, and even like that was gross. And, And just for the NFL to so blatantly as an organization as these teams did to so blatantly just not care is is like what really I get hung up on they just don't care that there are 22 accusations against Deshaun Watson they saw them they said yeah but he's a top five quarterback when he plays and it's the thing that every time you me Ella has been on a couple times and we've talked about it every time we bring up the conversation of who are the top five quarterbacks in the league? Who are the top five quarterbacks? I would always be the one to jump in and be like, what about Deshaun Watson? He is still out there. Like, it's not like he's never going to play football again. And it looks like the rest of the league did that too. The rest of the league just went, hey, but like Deshaun Watson is still there. If we can upgrade, there he is. Let's try and upgrade. And just something about that doesn't sit right with me. It, you know, it's the whole thing. It's he interviewed teams. He got what he wanted in getting out of Houston. He has still not been disciplined by the NFL or anybody, like the legal system, nothing. There has you been think no he will be? discipline. And I, I don't see NFL doing anything to him. I think the NFL has to make a statement here because the NFL, when they got into the, the business of we're going to punish the players for things that happen off of the field, they they put themselves in this position where they have to hand down some sort of punishment for Deshaun Watson. My guess is that he gets suspended at least for a couple games next year, if not the whole season. Part of me finds it hard to believe he's going to be suspended for the whole season, but I think he's going to get suspended in some way. But the other part about this that, again, not to use the same word again, but it's gross, they structured his contract in a way where he's only going to lose $1 million of his 230 million guaranteed by not playing next season. So they're anticipating him being suspended and they're rewarding him for it by just making sure he still gets the rest of his money. It's just, I can't believe it's been so out in the open, obvious how much we don't care about these 22 accusations because like you said, football is just that much of a power in this country that we're going to ignore all of it because he's good at football. Like really, we're, we're, we're just okay with this. We're going to let this slide. I guess. I think it's frustrating too, and we didn't really touch on this before, but th- like you think about the Calvin Ridley suspension where he gets a full year immediately, basically. You know, right when we hear the story, it's oh, Calvin Ridley suspended for a year for, for gambling on games, which obviously, you know, isn't you know, you worry about competitive balance, whatever it may be, you don't want that impacting games. But but to see something like that in a punishment like that handed down so swiftly Versus Deshaun Watson, and and yeah, you know nothing legally has been proven yet, so I guess you kind of have to wait and see. But just kind of the the difference between how they handle certain situations feels feels like they're prioritizing the wrong things, especially how well, much I, the NFL leans into gambling now. Well, so I, I think the the Ridley thing, right? They had to make an example of whoever the first player was that got suspended or that got suspended for gambling. And this was like the perfect scenario for them. He wasn't playing games. He, yes, was betting on his own team, but he wasn't doing anything in terms of himself physically that could potentially impact the outcome of the game. He wasn't on the field and he wasn't then betting on like Calvin Ridley under four catches because he was going to go out there and drop three balls and make sure that he won the money. So like, like it was the perfect scenario where Calvin Ridley wasn't doing anything to actually impact the outcome of the game. And so they could hand down this kind of harsh penalty because it's like, well, like look at what he did to this guy and he wasn't even playing. So I think the situations are a little different in that sense, but I think the NFL, when you look at their history of how they've handed down discipline to guys, you know, it's been Ray Rice. What did he get? Two games? Four games? Something like that? Four These domestic max, violence, I think, right? Yeah. Like, like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, so it's hard for me to, like, just spout them off. But a lot of these domestic violence charges we've had over the years, no one has ever gotten more than, like, 
eight games, I think, was the most we saw someone get suspended for. And then, like you mentioned, Calvin Ridley immediately, you know, a year-long suspension. So there is some hypocrisy there, like, no doubt. I do want to ask you, though, it seems like Deshaun Watson is never going to be charged criminally for what he did. You know, you had that Texas grand jury who found that there was not enough evidence to take it to a criminal trial. How does that change I guess your perspective, because I'll give thoughts too right after, but how does that change your perspective of Deshaun Watson and how we should view this? Because I mean, I guess I'll go first. Like, you know, we do have a system in this country built on innocent until proven guilty. But again, not to steal something from another show, but Bomani Jones yesterday on his show, I heard him say that he... If you put down, think about how unlikely it is for you to hit on a 22-leg parlay. You -hmm. need every single 22 legs to hit. And so for you to, to not believe these women, it means you are not believing 22 people. There's not one person in that group who you believe. And that's just me playing the devil's advocate of all these women are lying, which is incredibly unlikely that 22 people are lying. And so if all 22 people are telling the truth or if one person is telling the truth, I don't care. I I tend to believe all of them. So if 22 people are telling the truth, to me, I just find it super hard to ever watch Deshaun Watson, to ever root for Deshaun Watson, to ever want to see him do well because criminal charges are not. He clearly has a problem and is receiving no recourse for his issues. Yeah, and I think the way Watson has handled it as well is, is, you know, very much not not holier than thou, but kind of I, you know, I'm gonna get off. I'll be fine. I'm just gonna, you know, do my own thing and kind of not really acknowledge it at all. I'm with you. I think it, it, it's hard for me to to not believe 22 people. I understand the way the justice system works, but but you, that many people coming forward. You know, maybe not all 22 are, are exactly how they, they shaped it out, but there there is some underlying truth, I have to believe, as part of those accusations. So it's hard for me to see Deshaun Watson as an innocent man. Not only that, though, right? Even if he is an innocent man, and I, this is what I don't like so often when people talk about these things, is they will do the, you know, innocent till proven guilty thing, which I understand, but there's still the court of public opinion. And if in the public eye, we view Deshaun Watson as this deviant sexual, I mean, at worst, sexual predator, at best, you know, just, I, I don't know a good way to put this. Deviant the is a good word. In I, mean, America. I think deviant is a good word. Yeah, like, it, it's just one of those things where he... we still can form our opinions in public about how we feel about this, whether or not he's guilty or not. And it's the same thing we did with Ben Roethlisberger. It's the same thing people did with Kobe Bryant. You know, we have countless example after countless example of they might not have any criminal charges brought against them. Look at Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby's a free man right now for what he did. And I don't hear anyone talking about Bill Cosby as this innocent, holier than thou didn't do anything wrong kind of guy and so I just hope when Deshaun Watson starts playing football again we don't lose sight of that and immediately turn it into oh wow look how great Deshaun Watson played this week and I know that's gonna happen the moment he you know throws a 78 yard touchdown in his first game back but I'm just hoping that we can still keep the bigger picture and not ignore again what he's been accused of yeah yeah it, it, it's complicated and and I, I fear like you that it's just going to go back to kind of being casual football after the first you know quarter of the game maybe but it's it, it's not a conversation you want to forget and I just want to clarify something before we move on just because I don't want anyone to be able to misinterpret what we said about you know those women and what he's been accused of i i think i speak for tom here actually i know i speak for tom we believe these women uh, i am a strong believer of when people are accused of things we should be out here on the forefront and speaking freely and speaking in a way where we are taking these accusations as credible accusations because if we start discrediting every single person who comes forward with these kinds of value 
allegations, that's where you get into this really, really bad area of, well, then no one has ever done anything wrong. And people aren't going to come forward anymore either. Yeah. And like, I I have lived in this world for 25 years. This is not a very hard thing for me to believe that Deshaun, that a man with Deshaun Watson's power would try to use it in this way. I've seen this story before. This is not a terribly surprising story. I just wish it was a little less surprising when these things happen. So I just want to say, you know, believe women when they come forward, we should give them our support. And I hope, you know, that these women are able to, to find some sort of peace eventually when the civil suit, you know, finally comes about and is, is mm-hmm. finally finished in the end. All right, Tom, I, I I don't have any good transition here, but the the other part of this story that that has been so prevalent is the Baker Mayfield aspect of it. So Baker Mayfield, when he kind of caught wind of this, put a a post up on social media, just kind of you know thanking Browns fans, you know, kind of wishing he could still be a part of the team but he obviously requested a trade before the Deshaun Watson thing even happened Cleveland said they would not honor that trade request and then immediately trade it for Deshaun Watson so I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield's going to get moved here ironically didn't bring this up at all when we were talking about Deshaun Watson but the Browns reasoning behind wanting to move off Baker Mayfield is they want it quote an adult in the room and then to go trade for Deshaun Watson is I mean, shocker, there's hypocrisy there. But, Tom, let's just talk about the Baker Mayfield aspect of this. What what have you thought about the way both Baker Mayfield has handled this? And then where would be a potential good landing spot for Mayfield? Because I do kind of hope he ends up in a good situation. Like, backwardly, he got his wish. You know, he was asking for the trade. You kind of laid it out. And, you know, within 24 hours, it's, no, we're not trading you. And then, oh, Deshaun Watson. Oh, all right, bye. And and so it, it, it's it's kind of interesting how we got here. I Baker and Cleveland was kind of the, the last couple years. They don't have complete faith in him, which is tough because I, I think the organization is so used to having no success, and now they're kind of you're either on one side or the other with the Browns. Like he's not the guy, right? He's not the guy that's going to win you a Super Bowl if you're Cleveland. But part, I think part of the fan base kind of looks at we've stunk for so long that you know we're finally at least contending for playoffs every year that this guy's the one and he probably isn't i'd love to see him go indianapolis i think that's a good fit for him they have a great run game kind of doesn't have to be a star there um that would be my pick for baker i think that's kind of a, a safe situation for him to be he doesn't have to be you know mr mr villain mr bad guy from day one yeah, I think Cleveland's a good situation, mostly because of the kind of offense they run there, right? Where even though he didn't turn the ball over a lot, Carson Wentz turned the ball over in super key situations, and he did it in a way I don't, ex- I've never seen for the record Baker really do. Like Baker will turn the ball over sometimes because he is known, not known, but he at times will try and push the ball downfield in situations where it is unwarranted. But I, I think Baker Mayfield would fit well into that offense. That's kind of where I've pegged him to go. I don't really want to see him in Seattle because I think Seattle lacks lacks the offensive line that I think somebody like Baker would need. But at the same time, they also run us. They want to run a style of offense that they tried to with Russell, but Russell didn't really want to play that style of offense. They run a style of offense where it is, you know, they want to run the ball first and then work off the play action and try and hit guys deep downfield. And I think that is potentially a good situation for him too. It's just that division is hell and I don't wish that, you know, that division upon anybody to have to play Arizona, um, LA and San Francisco three times, you know, six times a year between them. That just, it sounds like hell. But yeah, I mean, when when I look at Baker, I, I just feel this is such an unfortunate end to what was such a promising start in Cleveland and I think it would be disingenuous if I said it wasn't at least a little bit on him because not making Odell Beckham Jr. work that's that's a little bit on Baker Mayfield going out there last season and playing through a shoulder injury and kind of betting on yourself you know doing the classic um, what's the word I'm looking for you know not quitting on your team and and you know 
man up, playthrough injury. It backfired on him. Let's be honest. It, it backfired. He had a contract on the table. He didn't sign it. He bet on himself. And then he had an injury plague season. And now he's going to get shipped off to Indianapolis where it's kind of a prove it year. He's going to have to play well if he's going to want to get a new contract. And it's just unfortunate, but it, it's not all it's not all on the Cleveland Browns. It's not the worst thing in the world for Baker to want a new start. Yeah, like like, like I was saying, this Cleveland relationship was toxic. And so to kind of have him get that, not a monkey off the back, but, you know, the the AFC North is is a tough division. And, and you know, you're going to have a little bit of an easier time faring in the AFC South. So he'll, you know, if maybe pick up a few more up. wins this year, get to a playoffs. Yeah, if he goes to Indianapolis, of course. But... You know, certainly if I'm Baker, that's not the worst option in the world. Well, if you're Indy, I'm I'm curious your thoughts, because I've bounced this around with my roommate a little bit. If you're Indianapolis, would you rather have Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield? Baker. Baker. See, I think I'd rather have Jimmy Garoppolo, not because I don't like Baker. You know me, I was a big Baker proponent coming out of college, but... I've seen Jimmy Garoppolo do it with talent before. He's been to a Super Bowl. He was just to an NFC Championship game with the same kind of setup you have at Indianapolis. A a good running back, a strong offensive line. You actually have an underrated, really good defense in Indianapolis. And really what it came down to is they they haven't had an adult at quarterback since Andrew Luck left. Like, yeah, Phil Rivers was a really good stopgap, but he is kind of that old-school gunslinger mentality where Jimmy Garoppolo is that old-school game manager mentality. And I think that's exactly kind of what you need in Indianapolis. I won't deny Baker Mayfield has better arm talent, in my opinion, than Jimmy Garoppolo does. But I've seen Jimmy Garoppolo make Super Bowls, and I think he could be an instant plug-and-play You know, Indianapolis in that division, maybe wins 11 or 12 games and is vying for the number one seed in the AFC. It's tough to sell me on Garoppolo because of the lack of really any meat in his performances. I think in the two playoff wins, he had zero touchdowns and two interceptions. So it feels like you're relying a little bit too much on your surroundings when you get Garoppolo. Whereas if you have Baker, you can kind of have a little bit more creativity at the quarterback position. You can have a little bit more. You know, you can have a guy that makes plays, and it feels like Jimmy G hasn't made a play since you know, the season opener five years ago for the Patriots. Whereas Baker, you know, can win games. He hasn't done it as much as people would like, but I like that creativity side more. Well, I I would say too, just to support your argument a little bit, I've never liked the idea that, you know, Baker hasn't, or any quarterback, they haven't quote unquote won enough. It's like, it's the most team sport I think we have in all of sports is football. And so, Like, yeah, has Baker won every game he's ever started? No, but he also won the Browns their first playoff game in like 30 years. And so he gets credit for both of those things. And he, again, it's a team sport. So if the team wasn't winning, it's not all on Baker. Was it some on Baker? Most certainly not, or most certainly. Like it most certainly was a little bit on Baker Mayfield, but you can't, I think it's a lot of people try and pin all of Cleveland's problems at the feet of Baker Mayfield when like they hadn't won a playoff game before he got there. He clearly was an improvement over the last 20 to 30 years of Cleveland quarterbacks. And so, you know, it, I think people need to really pump the brakes on the Baker Mayfield slander. Should he have been the number one overall pick when Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen were in that class? Absolutely not. But was he better than the options that were actually discussed for the number one overall pick? It was him Josh Rosen, and Sam Darnold, who were discussed for the number one overall pick. And it is unquestionable who the best of those three quarterbacks was. It was certainly Baker Mayfield. And I, I hope that a fresh a change of scenery does good for his career and that he's able to, to make the playoffs and have some success wherever he ends up next. Because I, I don't know, I'm kind of happy he's out of Cleveland. Now I, I, I can see in its full view what Cleveland really is. I'm happy he's out of Cleveland, and I, I hope he finds success wherever he ends up. Yeah, I like rooting for the guy. I do. Listen, he, he's kind of arrogant, but I, I don't know. I kind of part of me like kind of wants that out of my quarterback. Maybe I'm wrong. I liked like, it because he backed it up. Like he he still won out and won. So arrogance doesn't bother me if you're winning games. 
Yeah, it, it, where, where people turned on Baker is when he started losing, but they kind of ignored the fact that he it's had a It's hard to play quarterback with shoulder. a shoulder injury, from what I've heard. It is hard to play quarterback with a shoulder injury, so I'll cut the guy yeah, some I, slack. I've, I've heard it's difficult to play quarterback when your shoulder uh, tendon or your the bones in your shoulder are not connected to each other. I've heard that could be difficult. Not a doctor. That, that should be our new, our new hashtag. hashtag. Not a medical podcast. Hashtag not a medical podcast. Hashtag not a doctor. Tom, let's move. <laughs> let's move on to a a much less serious story. I'm happy we're over the Cleveland Brown stuff. Aaron Rodgers is back with the Green Bay Packers. He signed a 150 million dollar three year extension. I believe before Deshaun Watson was traded, that made him the highest paid quarterback in the league. I think he's still on an annual per year basis is still the highest paid quarterback in the league. So Aaron Rodgers got his wish in terms of the money. But days later, we found out that the Las Vegas Raiders would be trading for Devontae Adams. So Tom, just give me your reaction. Aaron Rodgers signs his contract. Devontae Adams then days later trade it. It was reported that Aaron Rodgers was aware this would happen, but I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on the whole situation. I think when we did QB matchmaker a couple weeks ago, we both had Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay. I know the points I made was he he's almost pseudo GM there. It kind of feels like he could pull the strings and get what he wants. We might have read that one wrong. We might have read that one wrong. Uh, you know, you lose your best weapon. You lose, let's be honest, the only weapon really on that team that you had to go. You have an all-pro receiver that you're not throwing to anymore. And, and you look at, oh, this team has a history of underperforming in the playoffs in recent years. It, it feels like there's not enough money to go around. And Rodgers kind of, you know, did this to himself a little bit by getting this huge contract. And, you know, not everyone can be Tom Brady. Not everyone can take massive pay cuts to kind of get the guys in there that they want. And and, and I understand I'm never going to fault a guy for wanting the money he deserves. But when you have two superstars like that, you have to find a way to make it work, especially when your championship window, fair to say, is running out now. Like, are they contenders right now? I guess because they have Rodgers, I guess. But I don't, I don't see them making a deep run, especially with how wide open the NFC is right now. So that's the thing, right? They're contenders because the NFC is super wide open and you have probably the best quarterback in the NFC. It's either him or Brady, it, which the fact that we're still saying Brady might be the best quarterback in the NFC at age, what is he, 44 now? About to be 45, 45 by the time the, by the, season, time the starts. season starts. Yeah, Insane that that's what we're still saying about Tom Brady in his 23rd season in the NFL. But just having Aaron Rodgers, I think, makes you a contender in the NFC. I would say that... They might still be contenders, but they're unquestionably worse now without Devontae Adams. And you have to imagine their thought process here is this receiver class is so good, we can draft two receivers in the first two rounds, instantly replace Devontae Adams' production with those guys, and now you're not so reliant on one star receiver. I'm not saying that is a good, sound strategy. I'm just saying I think that yeah, has to luck. be the thought like that has to be the thought process here because what what is the other reason to trade Devontae Adams other than he wanted out? Okay, that's cool. Here's your franchise tag. Like we've learned the NFL is cutthroat and they don't care about a lot of things. And so why would you care about Devontae Adams' feelings and where he wants to be? Because it's pretty obvious he wanted to be in Vegas. He wanted to be with Derek Carr. He had just bought a house next door to Derek Carr. Like he signs that contract extension the moment he's traded. He wanted to play with Derek Carr and he wanted to be in Vegas. He wanted to kind of be closer to home. He's from Fred the Fresno. Well, he went to Fresno State, so I'm gonna make the assumption he's from that area of the country, which means he probably grew up a Raiders fan. And so, you know, he wants to go play for the Raiders. That's all well and fine. If I'm the Green Bay Packers, I don't care. I don't care what you want out of this situation because we have your contract rights. We're gonna hold on to you. And it's just super strange to me. That Rodgers has made a stink over the last couple years over, you drafted Jordan Love and you didn't get me any help. You know, you're not getting me enough weapons. All I have to throw to is Devontae Adams. And then he green lights Devontae Adams getting traded. Like, clearly all he cared about was the money, which is fine. CTC, cash them checks. But I, I just, I, I don't get it. I, it doesn't make sense to me. Hopefully he just realized that he's not going to win a Super Bowl anyway, and he's just like, let me get paid. 
is the way I want to think at it because I very much enjoy seeing the Packers flame out the postseason every year. And it's going to sting a little bit less when they don't have Devontae Adams and they still end up losing to whatever divisional round opponent. But yeah, you're banking a lot on the draft. Like you got to find two Justin Jeffersons in the draft essentially to replace that kind of production. And to find a guy like that in the second round, okay, you know, good luck. But it's, you know, they're not, They've drafted well in the past. The Packers, I'll give them credit there. They're a very good team at developing talent. You know, they turned, uh, Aaron Jones was fantastic. They, they, they've turned offensive weapons into something productive. But to bank that much, maybe a free agency signing is coming, but, you know, it's not exactly a destination. I don't think playing with Rodgers has kind of the same panache that playing with Tom Brady does. So I think it, it's harder to make that sell, especially when you're living in Wisconsin. I was going to say the difference between the, because Brady couldn't get guys to come play with him either when he was in New England. Like they had to trade for dudes. He's playing in Tampa now. He's like, yeah, let's come down, come down, let's party. You know, we'll have some drinks. We'll play a little quarterback. You know what? Like Russell Gage, who I thought was a super, like Russell Gage was a super underrated available receiver. You know, all it took was a call from Brady. Brady called him, was like, hey, come down to Tampa. He's like, okay. And then boom, he's in Tampa. Like when you have seven, when you can walk into any, it's the Pat Riley effect, right? When he met with LeBron James, he walked into the room and put his rings on the table and said, this is what we're going to do. That's what Brady does. He, he, he FaceTimes you. He shows you his trophy case and he says, that's what we're going to do next year. And you go, I'm convinced. You're like, I like winning. Yeah, I'll go. Okay. <laughs> You're like, I haven't done a lot of that I, since I, I graduated college. <laughs> yeah. I've never been to one of those. I would love to do that. Yeah, I just I I think I think that is the difference between Brady and Rodgers, right? Brady has the hardware, Rodgers doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we were having this conversation that oh, Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback, you know, 2 3 years ago, and I think once Brady won that Tampa ring, to me that kind of evaporated. It's like, oh, he can win on his own. It's not, you know, I think he I, I don't think this, but a lot of people had the perspective that, oh, you know, Belichick, he's working with an all-time great coach, and, and yeah, they are all-time greats because they work well with each other, but to see him do it in Tampa in his first season was like, oh, that like he he is him. Tom Brady is the guy, obviously. What were we thinking that we ever put Aaron Rodgers in the same conversation? You know, before we move off this, because we're talking about Brady, I just want to bring something up to you because I know you'll, I think you'll agree with me. The most consequential play in NFL history was the Malcolm Butler interception on the one-yard line because it completely changed the trajectory of Tom Brady's career and the uh, Russell and Russell Wilson's career, that entire Seattle team. Because I think if Seattle wins that Super Bowl, we're looking at a dynasty. Like I think I don't think that team has the locker room. They are. I mean, back-to-back Super Bowls. Does that is that not dynasty worthy? I don't know, but I, I think they have potential to win like another Super Bowl that next year. I think what ended up happening with that team was there was a lot of turmoil following that interception because the organization was ready to hand the keys over to Russell Wilson. And the defensive guys are like, wait a minute, you were only in these two Super Bowls because of us. Like the Legion of Boom is the reason you're here, not Russell Wilson. And then on top of that, Brady would have another Super Bowl loss. We had we'd be looking at ten plus years without Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl. Who knows if he even gets back next year to play? You know, I know they beat Atlanta that next year, but say getting back and playing, uh, say a Seattle. I mean, they got to be fair. They they got incredibly lucky to beat Alabama. They got incredibly lucky to beat Atlanta. So you know, it's not. Brady was brilliant in the second half. It's easy to say, you know, that game goes the other way. It's easy to say Malcolm Butler doesn't make that pick, and you're suddenly looking at, oh, you know, Brady only has four rings. He, you know, was fortunate to beat Kansas City. He got a couple calls in his favor that one year when they beat Mahomes at Arrowhead um, to get to that Super uh, Bowl. So you're looking at, I'm you're saying- looking at, maybe they don't have any of those three, and it's like, oh, Tom Brady, you know, couldn't quite get over the hump later in his career. Exactly. I'm yeah, agreeing that, with you. That's that's what I'm saying. Like the narrative is probably completely different and instead we sit here and Tom Brady has the most more Super Bowls than any individual team in NFL history and it's just like unquestioned goat at quarterback and it's just so interesting the way that that one singular play completely changed his career in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. All right. 
All right, Tom, let's get into a little more free agency talk before we go over to some March Madness talk. I have four categories here from the NFL offseason. Obviously, the offseason is not completed. There are still some notable free agents out there. But we wanted to go through at this point since a lot of the big names have been snapped up and go through some of the offseason moves that teams have made. i got a couple categories here. So let's start, Tom, with the best offseason move so far. This one's easy to me, and we just talked about it, but it's Tom Brady coming back to the Buccaneers. I mean, they were lost at quarterback, and him, you know, retiring and then unretiring is huge for them. And yeah, we talked about the NFC is weak this year, so to have him back, it's a very winnable conference. And so, yeah, they're back to being contenders. They'll probably be a one or two seed in the playoffs. And oh yeah, Tom Brady will probably be playing an NFC championship game again. I think this one was super easy for me too. It it wasn't Tom Brady, although I thought that was an interesting pick by you. I hadn't even thought about like, like you got the best quarterback maybe in the league back. Like he was retired, and now he's not. That's a very interesting uh, pick by you. My pick was something I had been clamoring for for a couple of years on this podcast. I've been saying Kansas City needs to get somebody else to pair with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey because it's become too easy easy to put a safety over top of Tyreek Hill, and then try and bracket Travis Kelsey. I think the signing of Juju Smith-Schuster to Kansas City now largely makes it so specifically you can't bracket Travis Kelsey. Because if you put Travis Kelsey in the slot on one side, and you put Juju Juju Smith-Schuster, he has a very difficult name to say, on the slot on the other side, how are you going to bracket Travis Kelsey without leaving Juju in a one-on-one matchup when he's very a very good route runner and is going to be able to get open if he has one-on-one coverage that often? I, I thought this was perfect. I thought they needed another guy there. And now you have that other weapon. I think Kansas City is, you know, they're always dangerous, but now it's not going to be so Hill and Kelsey reliant. You have another guy who can get you a thousand yards. I think we forget how much of a freak athlete Juju is. Um, you know, the first season in Pittsburgh was insane, but you know, you're you're in that offense with with Ben Roethlisberger who can barely throw the ball ten yards, and naturally, you're, you know, you're not gonna get a lot of targets. You're not gonna really put up great numbers. But now that he's in that Chiefs offense, that explosiveness, it, it's gonna be a lot of fun to see kind of how he fits in with with you know, like you mentioned the the case of weapons they already have. I heard that Patrick Mahomes guy is pretty good. Well, it's that whole thing of like kind of Odell to the Rams. Like, yeah, they had a good receiving core already, but why not add somebody else elite? Like, you can't have too much talent on the roster. So I think the Chiefs, like, you know, do they really need Juju? I don't know, but you mentioned it opens it up for Hill and Kelsey, and it, it, it's something that, yeah, we they got better, which is the most important thing and really hard to do if you're the Chiefs. All right, Tom, the worst move of the offseason. Christian Kirk to the Jaguars. What are we doing? I've watched a lot of Cardinals this year. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big Kyler fan. I like Christian Kirk. He's, of course, a member of Kyler the Creator, my fantasy team, but may no longer be with the Jaguars now. And that, that, It just feels like they overpaid for that whole receiving core, so it's not entirely on Kirk. It, it feels like it's too steep of a contract when they're, to me, still a couple years away, and you know, if you're going to invest in a, in a receiver, it feels like you can get a guy that's not much worse than Kirk, maybe better than Kirk in the draft without having to pay him. So I, I think that felt like a reach for me for the Jags. Hey, I, I think that's a really good pick. I mean, leave it to the Jags to reach for a guy. I think they're paying Kirk like a number one and he's a better four years, two. 72 million is what I got. Yeah, to me, you're paying the guy like a number one. He's probably a better two. So, you know, I, I had pinpointed him for the Eagles as like, if you can get him on a good contract as your number two receiver next to Devontae Smith, who I think is a number one, fantastic signing. Like, you should do that if you can. And Jacksonville paid him like a one. So, I mean, good for you, Jacksonville, I guess. I I don't know. I Good for you, I'm Christian you. That Kirk. A, that's what we should be looking at. Yeah, good for you. Like... Like I said, I'm stealing this phrase from the Birds with Friends podcast, specifically from Shio Kapadia, but CTC, cash them checks. I will never fault somebody for getting their bag. If a team is dumb enough to give you the bag, take the bag. That is not your fault. That is their fault. Um, I, we've talked about it plenty on this podcast, so I won't harp on it too long. 
I thought the Deshaun Watson move so far has been the worst move of the offseason. In terms of product on the field, yeah, great. I think in terms of outward perception, though, and in terms of potential impact of you know what it means for team culture, I, I think a horrible move. I think it's horrible to bring a guy like that into your, your locker room. So to me, that's been the worst move of the offseason. Uh, Tom, most surprising move of the offseason. I'm going to hit one that we've kind of already harped on as well. It's Adams to Vegas. I, I know there's the connection with Derek Carr, but more so I think the surprise is Green Bay's perspective after you you invest in Aaron Rodgers to kind of take away his best weapon. So, yeah, we've talked about it already, but Adams to, to Vegas was shocking to me. So my, Mine is kind of also a receiver, but it was, it was like a one-two punch of why it was uh, surprising to me. I thought Allen Robinson to the Rams, I did not see that one coming. Three years, $45 million. I thought he was probably a better receiver than that. I thought he would probably get more on the open market. Maybe I just don't know the salary structure well enough of what these guys should and shouldn't <laughs> be getting paid. But I thought Allen Robinson was a really good receiver. And so I was like, okay, you know, you pair him with Cup, you pair him with Woods. You know, they're clearly using him as the replacement for OBJ. But then they traded... Robert Woods to the Tennessee Titans after the Titans cut Julio Jones. And so then I was just like super confused as to what the plan here is. Is he a Woods replacement? Is he an OBJ replacement? Is OBJ, like where's OBJ going to end up? He's still lingering out there as an injured receiver. I I just found the move super confusing because I don't, like it's a great move. I think he's a great receiver and I think he's going to fit well next to Cooper Cup, but I couldn't figure out what they're doing here with this receiving room. Like I don't know the direction they're going in. I'm going to trust them because they have so much talent, but yeah, that one that one was interesting to me. And Allen Robinson has not been done any favors by the quarterbacks he's played with in his career. So I'm excited to see him kind of get with a competent offense. Yeah, it wasn't like a it wasn't a surprise in the sense of like what are you doing kind of surprise. It was more of a surprise of I'm intrigued by this. Like what are we doing here? Like what what is the direction we're heading in? Cuz I want to see like what the end goal is when we start the season and what their receiver room looks like. Because it's a team like you said, they clearly know how to pick the right receivers. They clearly know what they're doing. I trust the Rams. They just won the Super Bowl. So it it was it was intriguing Bold that of you way. To trust Maybe the team that won the Super Bowl. Maybe they're trying to recreate like a Calvin Johnson situation. They saw how how well it worked for, for you know, I'm not saying Allen Robinson is Calvin Johnson for the record, but he is kind of that big body, doesn't get a lot of separation, throw the ball up, and he's going to come down with it receiver. And when you throw as many interceptions as Stafford does, he is known to take those risks. Maybe that's the the calculation they're making on that that signing. I, I'm not sure. All right, Tom, most underrated move of the offseason, our last category. I got to be honest, it's a guy you touched on already, Robert Woods to Tennessee. I love the signing, coming off the ACL injury, obviously, but only had to give up a sixth-round pick next year for a guy that has that kind of athleticism. And, yeah, obviously you're kind of banking on he, he doesn't lose a step coming back from an ACL, which you know we saw Odell Beckham was really solid for L.A. before he got hurt again. So I think Tennessee – you know, they're a couple pieces away. I think the AFC got a lot harder, which doesn't do them any favors, but they should still be heavy favorites in that division. And Woods is kind of a guy that, that can make plays. You know, maybe Ryan Tannehill can figure it out a little bit, but Woods, I really like the signing for Tennessee. It, it feels a little bit like the Julio signing last year, but he's just a lot better, a lot better of an option than Julio is. I think he's a better fit than Julio was. Uh, Tom, let me give you my underrated. Let me... Uh, this is a, a hypothetical, but I want you to answer it. Who is the quarterback we have slandered most on There's a Lot Going On? Hypothetical, or do you want me to answer? The literal, the literal answer. Who's the quarterback we, we have slandered most? It's, uh, Trubisky, maybe, would be my guess. Oh, Tom, Tom. I mean, you, you picked the right signing, but it's been Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, yeah, And okay. it's because right. the... The man can barely throw the ball I've forgotten five yards about down him. Now field. that he's retired, I've, I've just... Ben Roethlisberger's gone to the cloud for me. I forgot about him. That's very smart of you to just completely forget about Ben Roethlisberger, to be quite honest with you. No, it, I think the most underrated move of the offseason is Mitchell Trubisky to the... 
Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, they got him on cheap, two years, $14 million. I never thought Mitchell Trubisky was a bad quarterback. I thought he was overdrafted, and they were asking him to do too much in Chicago. I think you have fairly good weapons already in Pittsburgh. They don't have a great offensive line, and so you get a guy in Trubisky who does have some wheels, and with the right coordinator, can build an offense around his strengths as opposed to what they were doing in Chicago, which was, here's our offense, run it. I think Tomlin is a smarter coach than that, and he's undoubtedly better than Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges, who were their their other options in this field. And let's be honest, I think Mitchell Trubisky is better than what you've been getting from Ben Roethlisberger the last few years. So oh, I, for sure. You know, they're in, what were they, 9-8? With Roethlisberger last year, ten and seven. I forget exactly what their record was. Nine and eight, I think. They could be, they could be that good next year again. They could be a playoff team again. I, I think he is quite capable enough to get them to the playoffs again next year, and to, to again unquestionable to me upgrade over Ben Roethlisberger. And let me just say this too. I don't know how you feel about this. It's a very, a very murky quarterback draft. And so why not take a swing on a guy who is still young, a little bit unproven in Chicago, and you got him for cheap so you can really build up the roster around him? I love it. Yeah, I mean, you, who's your QB1? Corral? Like, who are you taking? Personally, I think QB1's Malik Willis. I think Malik, but even Malik, right, I think you need a year to kind of sit because he 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 has all the arm talent in the world, his his issue from what I noticed on and watching his tape, he's one of the few quarterbacks who I have watched so far. I do plan to watch them all before the draft, and I will have extensive thoughts to bring to this podcast. But you could see at times he held on to the ball a little bit too long because he is so athletically gifted. Because, you know, he had a bad offensive line and he'd be getting rushed and it'd be like, well, I have the legs to make this work so I can stand in here a little bit longer. So I think... At times, he held the ball a little bit too long, would get sacked because he'd be in a situation where the entire offensive line collapsed and he would be getting sacked. And so I I think he still has some learning to do, some developing to do. I think somebody like you would argue it's best he just learns on the fly, given how talented he is in terms of... Yes, sir. Like, because he's so talented... but. In terms of just who is the most talented quarterback, who has the highest ceiling, to me, no question, it's Malik Willis. Matt Corral, I think, has a very low ceiling, but probably would have fit really well into this offense. But again, I think Matt Corral, like what he can be at his best is actually what Mitchell Trubisky has shown us he is at his best. He can move the pocket with his legs. He can create plays by running the ball. You know, he is safe with the football. I'll never forget that game where Mitch Trubisky threw for like, 270 yards but had five touchdowns like that is who Mitch Trubisky is at his best safe with the football finding his guys open downfield creating some plays with his legs you know extending plays that's who he's never going to be top 10 top of the league quarterback but he is to me a good middle of the road quarterback yeah I don't think you need a top 10 quarterback when you're Pittsburgh obviously you know Super Bowl, you're going to want somebody maybe a little bit better. But right now, kind of as a bridge guy, I think it's a really good fit. All right, Tom, let's move on then to some March Madness talk. And just for people who are watching this, we are recording this before the entire Sweet 16 has been set. So we're recording this on Sunday morning. And so we're not going to know the entirety of the Sweet 16 prior to that. But Tom, it's been an exciting tournament so far. I mean, St. Peter's, the Cinderella run they are on right now into the Sweet 16. Let, let me let me just ask you, other than St. Petersburg in that first round, what was kind of your most surprising result from that first round? We, we got to ignore St. Peter's because that's the obvious answer of most surprising result. It's a great question. Um, I actually and you, really You know liked... what? Not just the first round. Let's, the, the first two rounds. Sorry, I said first so round. So yesterday first as well? Yes. Oh, that's easy. Michigan beating Tennessee yesterday was was the biggest shock to me, I think. It, it just feels like this team hadn't clicked all year. And, you know, I watch a lot of Big Ten basketball, obviously. And, and to see them kind of fully healthy now. And then, obviously, Jawan Howard misses the last five games of the regular season. So it, it's got to be tough, I think. They still kind of dealt with that in the Big Ten tournament. To even get in, a lot of people didn't have them in. 
and to beat Tennessee, who, you know, the narrative is, oh, they're underseeded. Oh, they, you know, they dominated the SEC tournament and what, what a lot of people are calling the best league in the country. Real quick on that, I think we need to, maybe my Big Ten bias is showing here, but I think we need to remember the nature of tournaments when we talk about best conferences, because there's a lot of years that the Big Ten, you know, maybe the Big 12 is up there, but the Big Ten is the best conference in college basketball, and, and they always stink it up in the tournament, and it's, the tournament shouldn't be a reflection of how good the league is. Like, the SEC has had a very bad tournament so far this year. Obviously, Kentucky goes down, Tennessee, but... That's still a hell of a league. There are a lot of good teams in there, and and don't let it get masked by by underperformances in March. Yeah, I mean, Caleb brought this up on our March Madness preview, but there is such a high level of variance in a one-game, winner-go-home type of game that it's hard for anybody to look at that, or maybe not hard, but it should be hard for anybody to look at that and make sweeping, broad conclusions based off of that. I would say my most surprising result so far has been North Carolina just in general. I thought North Carolina was kind of one of those ACC teams that kind of underperformed all year. Didn't really show a lot outside of their big win late against Duke. You know, for a while there, didn't even look like they'd make the tournament. And now to come in and, I mean, handle, I don't know another way to put it, handle Marquette in the way they did a team I thought was really good in Marquette I thought Marquette would beat North Carolina shock is smart in March though come on Mm. I mean listen ever since he left VCU miscalculation by me but you know he North Carolina handled them and then it ended up going to overtime but for you know one and a half for over a half of the game against Baylor they were handling Baylor and even with all the injuries, I thought Baylor would be in that game a little bit more than they were. Yes, it ended up going to overtime, but North Carolina has looked wildly impressive. Maybe they're just a team like Michigan who's clicking at the right time because, you know, Michigan and North Carolina do have super strong rosters. They just never really clicked all year. And, you know, maybe they're just clicking at the right time now and, you know, poised to make a deep run. And I think given the way North Carolina's bracket is shaken out, shook out, whatever the word is, it's not inconceivable they could win that region. Yeah, I mean, they've got UCLA in the Sweet 16. That one we have set already. UCLA not going to be more than probably a five-point favorite in that game. So I don't think think UNC winning that game would would really shock anyone, especially with, you know, Jaquez goes down with an injury late in that game against St. Mary's for the Bruins. So... Certainly a winnable game for UNC, and then, you know, Texas or Purdue gets St. Peter's on the other side of that region, which UNC, you got to be thinking you can beat any of those teams. You've already seen Purdue this year. Um, So, yeah, very gettable for them, and I think there are a lot of similarities with them in Michigan. I I think it's another one of those, you kind of throw out the seedings a little bit, because you got to remember that these are a lot of the lower seeded teams are hot right now and playing their best basketball in March. Obviously, you know, the, all the conference tournament champions are playing their best basketball in March. They may not have been the best team all year. St. Peter's, I think, was second behind Iona in their conference, but they're hot at the right time. And that, and that is so important in March. And, and two examples of that, UNC and Michigan. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if either one of them gets to the final four. I think Michigan definitely has a harder path, but this team is talented. They were, what, preseason number five? And it kind of feels like they're just starting to get back up to that level. Well, that that was Michigan too, right? They were preseason That's what I'm saying. Michigan was preseason number five, and now they're just starting to get back up to that level. Oh. Sorry, I thought we were talking about North Carolina. My apologies. Uh, let, Let me ask you... Let me ask you this other question. I think we should just, after that, we should probably end it, just because I don't want us to... Uh, linger too, too much into the games the today especially yeah because yeah, we just there's so much but who who do you think has looked best so far who has been the best team in the tournament uh it's hard to say there's a lot of teams that like a lot of the elite teams you know have beaten up on 14 15 and 16 i thought texas tech looked really comfortable in their win um i think auburn looked really good uh, Wisconsin kind of outperformed. I know they were struggling with Colgate, but I actually had Colgate win in that game. So I think Wisconsin to kind of get past that hurdle was good. Ohio State is going to be my answer for their win over Loyola, though. They played great defense. Loyola didn't shoot the ball very well, but I think a lot of people had Loyola win in that game. And yeah, Ohio State plays Villanova today, so they'll probably be out by the time this 
comes out. But the Buckeyes' first round performance was really interesting to me, especially after the way they ended the season. You know, they're, they're another team that's kind of getting back to full strength. You know, the the team I'm gonna take, and it's a team that I've been high on all year. But let, let me let me say a couple things. One, I think Gonzaga. I think they kind of needed that scare against Memphis. I would still say they are probably the best team in the tournament. But, you know, if I'm just talking first-round matchups, because this team hasn't played their second-round matchup yet, Purdue looked incredible against Yale. And Purdue, you know, barring a loss to Texas today, has a pretty favorable path, not only to the Elite Eight, but potentially the Final Four. I know both you and I had them in the Final Four. So things are shaping up well for Purdue to make that Big Ten deep run that we haven't had, you know, since... I mean, last one I remember is Michigan going to the national championship. A Michigan years State ago. went Maybe to the final four. They beat Duke a couple years ago. Michigan State was in the final four after they beat Zion. But that last team to make the championship game was Michigan. And there's a lot of similarities to that team because they had that buzzer-beating win over Houston in the second round. And then I, I think, you know, by the time they got to the regional, one and two were both out. And I think they beat up on like seven and nine to get to the final four. So... That's kind of the path that's here for Purdue. If obviously they got to take care of business against Texas, but you got to like their chances against St. Peter's. Yeah, so I think Purdue's looked fantastic so far, but again, only one game. So I'm going to pick a team that's played two games. I think I find it hard to find a team that has had, yes, I think throw the seed, the seed number out. I find it hard to find a team who's had two more impressive wins than Arkansas with their their win over Vermont, which was a really hard fought game was called a little tight by the rest. But at the end of the day, both teams had to deal with that. And I still think Arkansas did what they had to do to come out of that game on top. And then a, a New Mexico State team who really gave it to UConn and Arkansas clamped them down on defense like New Mexico State could not get anything going offensively and this is why I thought Arkansas could be potentially dangerous come postseason play because mind you I picked Vermont to beat them so I, I can't you know I don't want to look too. like some genius too. over it's here the like, I didn't pick effect. them to win so so I am not yeah like I was I was influenced by by the friend of the pod so what it really comes down to though is JD Note is a great get a bucket kind of die kind of guy um i never know how to say his name but umed i think is how it's pronounced is another like they have two guys who are out there just like you can give the ball to and they can get a bucket and then you also factor in jalen williams who is a 610 center who can stretch the floor guard all five positions it it makes it so you have this this elite force in Jalen Williams in the middle who can really affect and change the way the game is being played. And to me, in their region, I believe, is it already set, right? Gonzaga versus Arkansas in the next round is the That's next game. That's the matchup, game. yep. I think Arkansas could beat Gonzaga. I, if there's going to be a team that beats him in their region, I always thought it would be Arkansas. And I think Arkansas has a great shot because of the way they match up, specifically with Jalen Williams. Because I think Jalen Williams, you might not be able to take away Drew Timmy. I think Jalen Williams has the defensive capabilities to take away Chet Holmgren. And this, this is not to mention... Jalen Williams should be every AAU coach's favorite player in the country because there's no better player at drawing charges than Jalen Williams. I don't know why he's so good at it. I've never seen a guy who's 6'10 who is so good at Brad drawing Davison. charges. I'll throw Brad Davison in the conversation. Never seen anyone like him. Yeah, J- Jalen Williams is just, just incredible at it. But that's the team to me who's been most impressive so far in the tournament. I think they have a great shot to knock off Gonzaga in the next round. Um, yeah, Tom, no, let me just we had the re- preview last week. Go ahead. So we, the, Brian and I were talking about, we both liked Texas Tech because of the defense they play. And I think there's there's some similarities with with Arkansas and kind of mucking it up with Gonzaga like they did against New Mexico State. Obviously, it's a different beast. But, you know, Gonzaga's been anything but convincing. They were tied in, in the second half with Georgia State in the first round. And, they, you know, they got all they wanted from Memphis. But, yeah, this, you know, they kind of cruised to the final four last year and then really got the test against UCLA. And then we're kind of feeling it against Baylor. So you wonder if that is what happens this year with the Sweet 16. I don't think so because of the time between games. You have four or five days in between games. But, 
You're starting to you're starting to look over your shoulder a little bit if you're the Zags. Let me just ask you how how are you feeling about your national championship pick Purdue of course before they play today? Um, they're in the Elite Eight if they beat Texas, so I, I, I'm looking at it as a, as a Sweet 16 bye if they win today. So this is really a, a two round matchup. I think Stefanovic was shooting the ball well. Jaden Ivy looked like he was having the most fun he's had all season. Um, at least since conference play started, with which to me I was a little concerned. He's kind of already looking ahead to the NBA, but he was having a lot of fun in that game against Yale, and so so I'm kind of hopeful that he he wants this last ride. Um, you know, I don't want him to go out like Lonzo Ball, just kind of doing his own thing and and just already with his eye on the NBA. But I, Williams and Edie are gonna be hard to guard. Hey, shout out to. Oh, I was going to shout somebody out, but I don't remember who it was now. It was one of these tournament teams, and I just I can't remember who they were. I love Texas, by the way. They play that style of basketball I really like, but I think they're too offensively deficient to beat Purdue. But hey, by the time this comes out tomorrow, Texas might have already beaten Purdue, and then I'll just look like a fool, and I'm okay with that. Tom, yep. that brings us to yep. the end of another edition of There's a Lot Going On. A very long episode today because we did spend a lot of time in the beginning talking about Watson. Um, I'm going to try and include in the show notes of this episode some information for uh, victims of sexual assault so if you would like to read up on any of that information i'm going to include that in the show notes i'm also going to try to include uh, some of the articles that detail the allegations that have been levied against Deshaun watson so that way people can kind of read up on it a little more if they have kind of been um, not in the dark, because I feel like we all kind of know about it if you're listening to this podcast, but if you want to read some more information about Deshaun Watson. Uh, but Tom, that is the end of this episode. A, a fun one outside of that first 25 minutes. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? I got two for you. Um, first, St. Peter's is playing in the East region, which is in Philly this year. Uh, someone just tweeted, 90 miles from St. Peter's campus. So we better see the Peacock fans out in full force in Philadelphia. Um, and my second thought, you know, clinical work from my Iowa Hawkeys in the first round of the women's tourney. Uh, 40-point win over Illinois State. Yeah, it's a 15 seed, but cough, cough, Kentucky, you know, seems to struggle with 15 seeds. So just take care of business, move on, and that's my national championship pick there. So I'm feeling good about that one. Hey, shout out to my girls over at Stanford. They they also looked really good in their first round matchup, and Fran Belibi threw one down on the break. So shout out to Fran Belibi and the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, also, my final thought, uh, RIP John Clayton. We lost a, a legend in the journalism community, the sports journalism community this week. Uh, absolute legend, you know, 20 plus years over at ESPN and just an epitome of professionalism when you looked at, you know, what his colleagues had to say about him and the work he did while he was at ESPN and everywhere else over the years. So RIP John Clayton undoubtedly will be missed by the NFL community. Um, and that's the note I'm going to leave you on. So for Tom Shively, I'm David Oro. Catch you back here next week for another edition. There's a lot going on.